Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason, and I am here in beautiful Wuhan, China, but originally from the United States, specifically California, and we are here today with Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex here, representing Northeast Dongbei, and I am talking to you from Beijing, China at the moment. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today, I was hoping we could talk about performance art. So everything that entails in like US and China. Uh, another thing about Oakdale, mm-hmm. they can they call themselves, quote, the cowboy capital of the world, unquote. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't think it is. But they liked to think of themselves that way. And they have a rodeo there every year, a massive rodeo where people from all over the United States come to Oakdale, California to watch young, healthy, athletic country folk like, uh, I don't know, wrangle animals (laughs) i'm not exactly show the power of human yeah so they would like lasso animals and tie them up and stuff and like i i I guess sit on top of a bull while it was angrily trying to eject them for as long as they could and and and, you know do the whole thing so that was a huge part of like oakdale culture is uh i guess participating with animals and whatever that that is to for those folks because you know i wasn't really big on it but it's it's a kind of performance theater so i thought we could just start there uh what's your what kind of performance are you into alex i am well as an audience member i am always super keen on going to any live band performances different kind of Mm. music genres as well uh i love love stage art but i don't go as often they do have a lot to offer Mm. in beijing though I guess as a performer myself, in a way, I um, mm-hmm. I go. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do, I do stand up comedy, and that's where me mm-hmm. and Jason actually mm-hmm. first met without properly meeting. We found out when mm-hmm. we started doing this show together, which is a yeah. very good sign. You're very funny. Thank you. You're very Thank funny. You. My yeah. voice is going really high because, <laughs> um, um, so it was. It was <laughs> well, I, I actually our mutual acquaintance Nick. I went up to him afterwards, and he said, "Oh, you know, how did you like it?" I said, "Oh, that performer Alex. She was really, really great." You really said that i'm gonna go find nick and i did i did you have to find nick and i will i will so (laughs) for that i do perform in different venues and i always try to go see my fellow uh, stand-up comics and go see their shows and stuff and i also really like this is not so much as so much performing but i do a lot of salsa um so we Mm -hmm. go to these soul show dance parties and sometimes there will be there will be performances. And then there's other, I don't know if you can call this a performing art, but I also love doing and going to live storytelling events, you know? Wow. Yeah, so those produced uh, stories that you submit beforehand so that you could present your story on stage eloquently and, you know, tell your story in a very moving fashion it doesn't sound like it's an event that's going to attract audiences but it actually it really it really does i've been to a couple of events Mm. like that and it's always kind of a full house and people are really just for no reason really interested and invested in what you have to tell them which is which Mm. makes you feel good makes you feel valued in a way 
I've actually never been to that, but I've been to something similar. In SF North Beach, they have a place you can go see beat poetry. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like storytelling, but it's done in like a particular style. And instead of clapping, people snap. Mm. So that's, you know, unique to this kind of like poet, poet culture. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very hip, I guess. And they like, you see a lot of movies where they tease about that, but it's actually a thing. Yeah. That- I mean, I would still, I would still be like, clap. <laughs> I want to hear, I want to hear the applause. How dare that person <laughs> clap. Snap, snap, there. snap, How snap. uncouth. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, San Francisco has its own like miniature kind of Broadway. Yeah. So everything that rolls through like LA and New York, San Francisco is like, yeah, we do that too. Yeah, we have Wicked. It's uh-huh. a competition. So they have like, yeah, like, so my first experience of seeing performance theater was not seeing like a live rock band, which I did a lot. But my friend was like, we're going to go see this play. I was like, okay, whatever. And we went to see um, the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, lucky. I was a kid, basically. I was 16 or 17. And I was like, okay, let's go. And we were late. So by the time I got got there, I had no idea why there was this guy with like half of his face covered, <laughs> singing through and, and like swinging through the audience and the chandeliers. Like, what is going on? <laughs> this is like some kind of trip. But, you know. Did you uh, appreciate my, in the end? Did you at least? You know, I actually gave me a weird feeling because of like halfway through the performance. I think it was only one of two performances like that I ever saw. I saw another musical later. I did see Wicked. And I think we talked about this before. I sat in the in like the nosebleed seats. Yeah. And also I was really disappointed because it was like the real Wicked crew, you know, like their Uh. troop, I guess it's what it's called. But the main actress who plays, you know, Alphaba? the Wicked Witch, I guess, Alphaba. you know, she, yeah. she was not there. I got the understudy. So, oh, that's yeah. I mean, I'm uh, no offense to understudy if you're listening. Uh, you were great too, but I, 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 I guess, <laughs> I guess little, I wasn't late, really Jason. into. <laughs> I'm not into musicals, really. Well, no. I, I super am. I that's actually one thing that when you were asking that because I, I try to watch as many as I could when I was in New York because I was listening to only the song from those musicals but when i was living in new york and boston i had the chance to actually go see i saw wicked twice i went to see Mm. yeah i went to see uh priscilla queen of the desert i watched the like whole bunch of other stuff i went to see chicago and then the luckiest uh time for me was when i don't know if you heard about this musical called waitress um no it was by sarah Bareilles. And she had someone, she had a, the, the main guy with some famous Broadway actor as well. But when I went to see it, they had just decided, I think a couple weeks before the one that I went to see, that they were going to bring Sarah Bareilles back. Because before that, it was Jesse Moeller. I know I'm throwing names at you and I don't make sense. But um, <laughs> they just decided to bring back Sarah uh, Bareilles. And it turns out Sarah Bareilles was also really good friends with uh, Jason Mraz. So hmm. I was able to catch the only week that they played together hmm. in theater for that musical. So that was like a really special experience for me. Um, because I had seen that was this was 2017 and I saw Jason Mraz in China in 2012, mm. I think so. Wow. You know a lot more about musicals than I had anticipated. This really was custom for you. <laughs> I know. I wasn't <laughs> lying when I told you that's how I felt. But you went to high school in the States. Is that right? No, I went to high school and undergrad here. 
in Beijing. Oh, wow. So where, when did you get into musicals? In college, probably, I think. We, we were watching some movies, but I wasn't, I didn't have a huge uh, understanding of it, or I didn't know too much about the history or how it actually works, like different shows would go on in different theaters and stuff. I actually, I think the first live musical that I watched was when I was doing my summer school in Cambridge, and we went to see Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And back then we were sitting like super high up in the theater. I could see it was really funny. Like the back part, because we're sitting super high up, the back part of the stage was covered by the awning. Um, and I could see all of the changing of props behind the, um, you know, in the back of the stage. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was still a very good experience. I'd like to tell a story. You know, after the pandemic had started, my wife and I wanted to go to see a musical. And we were like, oh, wow, you know, surprise, surprise. It looks like the National Center for the Performing Arts in Beijing oh. has Madame Butterfly. And we're like, oh, well, can we can't believe our luck. So it was like 2020. I guess it was last year. We went there and we were like, wow, how did we get first row seats? This is amazing. And we're sitting there and there's this giant screen there. And we're like, wait a minute. What's, what's this? And then like... It was a movie presentation oh, no. of Madame Butterfly recorded <laughs> in Italy and like played like two days later on the screen, which was fine. It was like, oh, okay. And we really did enjoy it. It was a lovely like movie, IMAX movie experience, but we totally got like, I guess we didn't read the tickets uh, well or something. It was not going to see a live performance. Yeah, it was a... But it was it was lovely. It yeah, was lovely. It was a shame because there were a lot of musicals that were coming to China prior to yeah. the yeah. I saw I was able to mm. see Kinky Boots uh, and I saw Rent, which is one of my one all time favorite mm -hmm. musicals. And when we went to see Madagascar, where they did a really good ad adaptation of some of the dialogues. You know, there were jokes that talk about New Jersey yeah. in the, you know, the the original uh, scripts, but they were able to kind of say they said, oh, it's like going to Tongzhou. I was like, oh, no, I am offended. But it was funny. Um, but now it's just all, you know, probably the the thing that you watched. It's like cloud performance and you could only settle for the best. Right. It was probably it was probably the best performance of, you know, Madam Butterfly on Earth. But we still didn't get to see it live. <laughs> but, you know, what's really interesting is. um Wicked, you mentioned, we both mentioned Wicked, and I remember seeing yeah. advertisements for it at the NCPA in Beijing in the subway. So I know, yeah, the National Center for the Performing Arts in Beijing had lots of stuff. I'm sure that after travel becomes unrestricted again, tons of stuff will, will flow through there again. But they do have live yeah. symphony. And I actually, I'm not a huge fan of musicals, yeah. as I mentioned, although you are. I am a <laughs> massive symphony fan. I love the symphony. And so we got to see uh, a few at the NCPA. And we also saw one here in Wuhan at this place called the Qintai Theater, which is was very lovely. Mm. Both venues are really nice. Very similar to the the uh, venue in uh, San Francisco that I, I saw the uh, 
some performances there as well. Yeah. There's a lot more than just musicals and symphony. And China has its own cultural heritage of performance art. There's yep. a lot of them. I only really got into uh, what they call Jingju, which is like Beijing opera. The Peking opera, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's part of a larger genre called, I guess, please correct me, Shichu? That is correct. Ooh, I got it. <laughs> so that is like every province has its own version of the opera. And like Jingju is specific to Beijing. Yes. And I also saw Hebei Bangza. I think I'm saying that right. You watched I, it? Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We went to the Chang'an Grand Theater. Yeah. And we, we saw the Hebei Bangza. And we went to see another Peking opera there too. And we also went to Meilanfang twice. Oh, wow. And the second time, we, were, we never read our tickets well, apparently, <laughs> because the second time we actually saw a high school graduate performance for these students studying to be Peking opera performers. But what was really interesting about that one is after we were like, oh, these are kids. Then yeah. <laughs> they were really, really good, by the way. Then after they finished performing, they actually had like the adult professionals come out and do the last 30 minutes of like a, a famous Peking opera. The coolest part of it is like a, you know, thank you for making it through this high school performance. Yeah, so it's like, uh, <laughs> we know we're confident with our students, but just in case. <laughs> Here's yeah. some professional stuff to go with that, too. It was lovely, though. I really enjoyed it. You know, in China, if you have, like, cable television, there always is, like, Chichu on the TV, and you can just watch it. But it's not the same. If you see it live, it's completely so enrapturing. And, like, the mu they play li live music there with the performers like on the yeah. side and in front of the stage and it's really really quite amazing i will i will confess though as a as a again as a chinese person i have <laughs> i've never watched a live performance of the any chinese opera you should go i know i know i should and i will i will you're in beijing i beijing. i know and hearing you brag about the fact that you've visited <laughs> all of these top theaters multiple times it's me it's giving me motivation to go visit them i have to outdo <laughs> jason you know actually that happened to us um, one of the times we we went to Chang'an Grand Theater. My wife invited her best friend and her best friend's husband. They posted on their WeChat like, oh, first time ever going to Peking Opera, invited by an American. So odd. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a traditional Chinese thing, but we have to go with our foreign friends. Otherwise, we can go. <laughs> Another thing that's really popular here, I have not seen, but I have seen on TV and read about it a lot, is puppet theater. Have you seen that? Again, not in person, but that is that became popular, super popular. It, had, oh, it has been around for a long time, but it became super popular mm. in the past maybe 15 years. Really? I, I always thought this was just like one of those things, but I guess I was wrong. It's one of those things that um, I, I guess surprised some every time I talk to someone who's not from China, one way mm, or another, mm, they bring mm. up the puppet theater or the shadow play, whatever. Because mm. in Chinese, it's called 皮影戏. It's like leather shadow 
play because the the little puppets were made mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. those things. And in I think in 2005 or 2006, actually, there was a, a team of who this group of people who have been the sort of the center of our discussions for the past couple of episodes. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Chinese grandmas, I think they're all like mm. at least 60 years, 60 years old. And they went on the Chinese New Year Gala to perform this piece. Mm. And it was the first time that dance troupe of not really professional and classically trained dancers got on the Chinese New Year Gala and then, you know, not saying that dancers should look uh, one way uh, and it mm-hmm, doesn't mm-hmm. work, but these are just, you know, like grandmas that we would see in normal life and uh, they were all dressed in this green outfit and the whole dance number was them trying to mimic the way that the shadow puppets move. Ah. It was, you sh- I, if you haven't seen it, I su- strongly suggest you go watch it and that's where it kind of first went on a big national stage and it was again you know televised broadcast to the whole country or the whole whole world even Mm. and their energy on stage was so infectious and they got a lot of you know uh publicity afterwards and they were doing different shows in in different cities after the the chinese gala so would you say this is like a kind of a revival of the art in a way i think it is Hmm. because i recently saw on going i saw that the captain of that dance troupe that performed uh, 15 years ago they're Mm. training new people Mm. to kind of become more focused in this very niche arts of dance so it's like oh they're gonna have new shows hopefully You know, China's such a large place with so much, uh, you know, local culture that I wonder if like one town or another or region province, even though you're saying it's entering into the national or international consciousness in the last decade or two, maybe, you know, historically, there is one area where it has been continuously popular. Would you say that may be true? Absolutely. I think any art form that sort of survived or that was that's still around today in China had its own days of extreme popularity. Mm. But because of, I imagine it's because the, the capital of different dynasties kept changing that would bring up Mm, mm. a certain kind of performance art and when the capital moves or when a dynasties ended Mm. that kind of art might have just died a little but it stayed within the people but the government or the court was not promoting it anymore but you know throughout hundreds of years of change it's still some of it get to survive and one thing i saw in the u.s that was uh what i thought was a really big part of chinese culture was the lion dance but you know since i've moved to china i have yet to see a single lion <laughs> dance yeah that's so first of lion dance is a very ah, southern so thing. you need to go down to guangzhou to uh, see northern it. people 
I think if you go down to Guangzhou during Chinese New Year specifically, you may be able to see it. Because the thing is, and I agree with you, because I always see these um, lion dance troops uh, training. I see videos mm. of them training and doing really hard tricks, and it looks like you. Those tricks look like if I try to do it, <laughs> I will die for sure. There's no doubt about it, but. I don't see them perform really. Very rarely you see maybe like a two people lion uh, doing just a quick routine in those uh, opening ceremonies for really big malls.、Mm. But other than that, you don't see them in northern cities, at least I think. You know, one thing I do see here and there in public in different times, not not even necessarily in a theater, are just like different kinds of ethnic dances. I went to a、um, like a gala for a big company. I'm not going to say the name of a few years back, and several of the ladies, because there were like hundreds of people that came. You know, mid-level management kind of folks. A few ladies that came dressed up in like Yunnan like traditional clothing, and they did like. A Yunnan like、uh, ethnic dance on the stage because there were several、yeah. different like groups of people from this company and they were all doing different kinds of shows and dances to entertain them. Kind of everyone providing their own entertainment, and so these ladies did this very beautiful traditional ethnic dance from like Yunnan. It was really beautiful, but they're apparently like. Fifty-six minorities, is that right? 55. In China, fifty-five, and then <laughs> then then there's Han, and then、uh, yeah. So each one of these has its own independent culture, and they have their own independent art and styles of dress and like dances, and I mean, I don't even know what else that not everyone knows about in the national consciousness. Yeah, there's.、Um, I think I am almost confident that there are every、uh, ethnic minority group have their own dance that's still being. Studied and passed on.、Um, there are some major ones. The bigger ethnic minority group dances are super popular with, in like you know, throughout China, like Inner Mongolian mm, uh, mm. Tibetan dance, and then dance from Xinjiang. Like everybody knows the signature moves of these ethnic minority groups dances. And there is a university here in Beijing called the the Beijing. I think it's called Beijing People's. I don't know the translation actually, but they have a dance major. And I think during the four years、uh, of a student being a dance major in that university, you have to learn all of these dances. All of you、them. have to learn、wow. all of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sound. I mean, I could. I told you my story before of not being able to learn one style of dance. So that sounds like an impossible feat. <laughs> But it's it's very it's very popular. Like this. Kind of Chinese.、Um, f- you you wouldn't call it folk dancing, but these minority groups dancing are super popular. And again, there are a lot of videos on TikTok and on on Douyin or any of social media platforms where you could post a video. You see these people doing Chinese、uh, ethnic mm, mm, mm. dances in.、Uh, Over in like in other countries, there's one guy I super、um, strongly recommend、uh, his videos if you want to see it. If you want to see what is athleticism, this guy he is a, a dance professor in the university that I I just mentioned, and he is、mm-hmm. currently living in London. And his videos just 
all about him going to a park, going to the pier, going to any public space where people could walk around, sit around. And he just takes out his like traditional Chinese dance fan or he does those long sleeve things, you know, mm. and he jumps and flips like gravity wow. didn't exist. It's insane to watch this guy. We talked in our last one of our recent um, podcasts about hip hop versus salsa and i don't want to get involved in this argument <laughs> don't but i have a friend in in beijing and he's from uh taiwan and he is a hip hop mm -hmm. dance artist teacher and uh he oh, wow. can do things like spinning on his head and like flipping around like exactly what you're, like, you're describing like suddenly the laws of physics no longer apply to this person while he's doing these things it is amazing it is absolutely amazing right you're like are we both human i don't think you are <laughs> yeah but i mean uh, he also posts videos on his wechat of him doing like 500 push-ups and stuff so i'm never gonna be not defying <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna be defying gravity like him mm. he, he maintains his his body like a temple nice wicked pun we were talking about ethnic dances and there's a place in beijing called 99 yurts have you heard of it or been there uh no is there a chinese name for it oh uh, no i have no idea but i mean it is it, the english name is 99 yurts you can look it up it's on the west side of beijing maybe about the fifth ring ish uh, area kind of going near shogong park actually just uh, okay. north of shogong park and it is literally 99 mongolian yurts so you go and you rent a yurt you go inside and they serve you like <laughs> mongolian food but one of the things that they do is they perform oh. for you and they the, a troop comes in they go from yurt to yurt doing their mongolian traditional dance for all of the yurts throughout so this was this year we got to 99 yurts and they were like okay jason go dance I was like, oh, God, no, really? This, apparently, this is something that the person that, you know, the guest of honor is supposed to participate in. So, <laughs> I was standing there and they're dressing me in this blue scarf yeah. and, like, I'm dancing. And eventually, everyone is up and we're all dancing around in this giant, yeah. you know, like, eight that's dancing around. It was really, really fun. It was a lot of excitement. I didn't like being the centerpiece, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was cool. It was really nice. I mean, that part, that dance is uh, largely encouraged by their traditional alcohol as well, that should supposed to give you that's supposed to give you the courage to dance and you kind of just do whatever you can well half of the people in the room were children so there was no alcohol presence oh oh well <laughs> <laughs> yeah well then that must be a little bit harder than it usually is for you <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about musical instruments just a little bit, and I am going to be say I am completely ignorant here. So um, I know what I know what an arhu is because I like street performers, and in Beijing and other cities, you find like people just playing the arhu next to like a hat for money and whatever. And some of them are very good, actually. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, really, really, really impressive. I'm sure you've seen them. No, not really. Like. Um it's you don't see those people anymore um but i've seen i've seen an arhu player in new york mm. and uh <laughs> i feel bad i feel like the person the the guy that i saw in on in new york subway he didn't look like he was you know he wasn't dressed poor or he was like dirty he looked like someone's 
grandpa just, uh, you know, didn't have anything else to do and was like, you know what, I'm going to go and play Arhu in the street. And he had this, uh, you know, accompanying music, like the mm-hmm. instrumental mm-hmm. track that goes with it. And then people were like, oh, my God, this instrument is so different. And there's a Chinese guy playing it. So people were being really encouraging. But I was like you're not that good. <laughs> I didn't say it. I didn't say it, of course. And I gave him some money as well. But I was like, mm, no, because <laughs> my dad plays. I, I know you I remember you t- saying your dad got really quite good at it. But you know, the silk market in uh, what is it? Yonganli? Yes. Station? Yes. If you go under the ground to cross the street, uh, to cross Chang'an to the other side from there, there's often a guy right there. He's really good. Uh, I haven't been. I felt like, oh God, I felt like ever since the pandemic, I haven't really been walking on my feet anywhere for a while. Uh, I'm always taking the taxi. I should go walk around and see if that guy's still there. Moving on. There's this guy I know. He majored in, I think at Cambridge, in um, guitar. He's really good. It's a, it's a scary. Oh, impressive. wow friend of mine and i said i asked him recently do you play any chinese instruments and he's like yeah i play this and this and this and this i was like whoa oh there's a list yeah it was a list he apparently plays like 50 instruments i guess if you're a music major that's all you do for like four years but he was like he plays the gujin and i was like really wow that's so cool he said the gujin is such a beautiful instrument that you could throw it down a flight of stairs and it would sound like music (laughs) (laughs) wow um that's a a, a for is, is it a chinese person or a foreign person he's a foreign person and he plays guqing that's crazy he said what it is is it's tuned to its own to one key so if it's because it's tuned to its own key it's like playing the white keys on the piano only it's all like in the key of c so it all yes as long as you're being competent it's gonna sound pretty because it's all in the same it's all gonna be tuned to itself yeah i am voluntarily offering some musical knowledge of traditional chinese music again if Mm, you will mm, mm, so mm. sometimes when people talk about we want to have music that sounds chinese and you're like oh what does chinese music sound like it's not really so much the instrument it's the the notes that go into Mm, the mm. composing of that song because traditional Chinese notes will only have do, re, mi, sol, la, which goes, which uh, echoes back to how we used to write music notes in uh, traditional Chinese characters. And this is, I'm pretty sure our our listeners won't understand, but I'll say it anyways. It's five characters. It's called gong, shang, jiao, zhi, yu. That's how we say, like, they represent do, re, mi, sol, la, respectively. And Mm. I think that's the notes on gu qing. There's no, there's no other, um, there's no other notes like, uh, fa and si it didn't exist in Chinese music before because mm. they're the mm. half notes. I remember reading about this. I remember reading about how it was something like 3000 BC or 2000 BC. There was like it's related to some of the ori- origin of Taoism where they were like the five, what are the, the, the pentagram of like health and stuff that they use in Taoism. And it's related yeah. to the same yeah. like, philosophy of fives. Yeah. So they deliberately made their music. We, we really like fives. I thought eights and nines. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about Chinese numerology. Yeah, I think because <laughs> we do the five, we believe in the five basic elements of life, which is mm. which is uh, metal, wood, water, fire, and earth. It sounds like Captain Planet to me. <laughs> <laughs> they stole 
<laughs> Their powers combined equal Gucci Man. Yes. New animation idea. But drumming is huge. You know, drumming is huge everywhere. In every country, in every continent, in the whole world. Drumming is a huge thing here too. And so, uh, you know, the drum tower, was that just for declarations of time or was that for also music? Um, I don't think it was for music. I could be wrong though. So it's like, I think it was just for time. So was time the same like 24 hour scale as it is in the West? Go by 12 and there's 12 different, um, it, go by, it goes by the unit of two hours, I think. Um, it's called Shichen and then like each Shichen is two hours. I have a question. You seem to always have an answer for whatever question I can throw out there. Is it that all Chinese people know this, all of this stuff or are you just particularly culturally aware? I'm just special. No, I'm just, I, <laughs> no I feel like we all had our fair share of, because all of these things, these uh, little pieces of knowledge information are mm, mm, mm. somehow always embedded in the cultural products that we consume growing up be it TV shows or movies, mm. they're always in, you know, or, or literature. So we're always one way or another, even if you're not particularly interested in, um, you know, kind of historic cultural knowledge, you would know them sort of. And I can't guarantee that everything I'm saying is 100% correct. So <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Wait, is 100% correct and we need to take it with a grain of salt? Is that just because it's better salty? <laughs> Okay, I have another question. So in America, we have the circus. Yeah. And this is something, you know, the last couple hundred years throughout all of American history, yeah. they, they had the circus. And so the circus is a bunch of animals and acrobats that would travel from, you know, medium-sized town to medium-sized town, entertaining people for a price. Mm -hmm. It's set up in like the, you know, the countryside near the city and someone's big farm or something and people would come and see acrobats and, and monkeys and elephants and whatever animals they had with them at the time. Now, I haven't actually per se been to a circus, but I've been to traveling like a, what are they? It's like an amusement park. Traveling amusement yeah. parks are still a thing in the US. So, I've seen that. And it's kind of like I guess what the circus sort of evolved into, but there's also, it kind of evolved into like special ways to like in Canada I believe it's like Cirque du Soleil. du Soleil yeah yeah and they have like the Barnum and Bailey thing in America and you know so there's also tradition in China and uh, I was in Beijing. There's a place on Chang'an, <laughs> the west side near Shidan. And my my uncle, my wife's uncle, yeah. he had some tickets to a children's performance. It wasn't children performing, but it was for children. And I got to see, you know, Chinese have like a circus kind of acrobat thing. And I'm wondering if they're related, if like one borrows from the other or they grew independently. Because uh, what I saw was in China was 
First, there were these really flexible people. Yes. That were, it was disturbing. Oh I my know, God, why? I it know. shouldn't go that way. And then, I mean, it was really nice too. It's like, wow, that's what the human body is capable of if I just lay off the pizza. <laughs> no, probably <laughs> For not. For maybe a few years and really stress. Okay, maybe not. You have to start when you're like eight or something. I don't know. Yeah, younger. And then they also had these got these gentlemen who could stack chairs and climb onto them <sighs> and they went i don't know how many chairs into the air it looked terrifying yeah it looked like please just not this is the show where they live <laughs> and then this is the most impressive one this is where i was trying to build towards their two gentlemen came out and they started juggling you know and i can juggle i can juggle three balls okay so i was like wow okay juggling but by the time these gentlemen finished each of the two of them independently i was trying to count I think it was about 17 balls. And they were like rubber balls that were like a little dense because they could bounce them off the floor. And while they were juggling the this enormous amount of, of objects, they were also juggling them up and down, bouncing them off of the floor, walking up and down staircases. And it was just like... Humans shouldn't be I, able to do this. <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't be able to count 17 balls without losing one of them and having to start over like 15 times, let alone walking while juggling them. I spent so many hours practicing trying to juggle four before I gave up. I mean, oh. I'm talking about 20 hours over a period of two or three years. Like every time I would sit down to juggle, trying to figure out how to go up to four. How did they? Well, you were really fixated on this. Well, you know. Once you juggle three, you think, wow, four is going to be no problem. <laughs> but actually, yeah, it's a huge step. How do you get to, you know, 16, 17, 18? It's insane. It's just, wow. But juggling, juggling is probably the only thing that I could actually enjoy watching and marvel at how skillful these people are. Everything else, same with the, you know, the super flexible actors, <laughs> the super flexible acrobats, and where they also like in both Chinese uh, the acrobatics and uh, circus, like, you know, the Canadian whatever circus where they swing people around mm, they mm. toss people or they stack either things or human really high and then they either jump off or whatever those things they just make me feel like i'm gonna have a heart attack at any given second i'm like i don't i don't know i i get really worried i think you should it's probably be just not yeah. my cup of tea i had a friend in san francisco she was doing it for health i guess but it was you know health to be cool she was doing the one where you slide up and down the sheet I don't know how, what that's called, but it's like a, a long sheet that hangs from a high distance. Yeah. And you cl climb up it and do spins. She fell from a great height. Oh, God. And she broke her femur in half. And, th and they had to reset her femur and put bolts in it and stuff. She couldn't oh, walk no. for like months. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's dangerous, that stuff. It's like those people don't get good at it by, you know. How many times has Jackie Chan been injured? I mean, really, he must like hundreds of bones broken, right? Yeah, I feel like he probably has had every bone of his body broken and built and broken again. Yeah. So that stuff is not easy. <laughs> nope. Can't be relaxed when I was watching that.
you mentioned rock concerts. Is that what you said? Concerts or rock concerts earlier? Music concerts. Just, yeah, concerts in general, like live performance. Yeah. Live performance is so popular in the US. When I was young, I saw, I can't even remember. I saw Radiohead. I saw Tool. I saw oh, wow. the Deftones. I saw everybody who was popular when I was a young person. I saw them. It was, it was amazing. And I remember being thrilled to see each group of instrumentalists and like being part of the crowd and all of that. Yeah. It's a huge deal in the US to go see your... My brother just went to see Kevin Nealon, the comedian in uh, Chico, I think yesterday or the day before. Oh, wow. People love to go see like live comedy, live music, live everything. Yeah, I think that's just because you like we are kind of inherently all like to be part of a community at some point Mm, mm. you know what kind of music comes through china from elsewhere i would say all kinds because they i know that um they have brought over basically all the big time artists of course before the pandemic Mm, to mm. china to have concerts and uh performances Mm. um i don't think there's anything the only thing that I've, i've never been to or or i would never really pay to go see it was probably like a death metal band (laughs) (laughs) but other than that i i think mostly it feels like chinese audience are more leaning towards something Mm. that's a little more sentimental on you know like jason mraz and all that you mentioned his name so many times this hour (laughs) i'm I'm sorry he's he's a very charming guy he's weird and charming well i hope your i hope your boyfriend (laughs) is okay with you talking about jason mraz so many times (laughs) there's no competition there uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm not going to ask who wins. I'm just... <laughs> Face dancing. Have you seen face dancing? You mean Chinese face you mean dancing? The, the mask, the super fast face swapping mask. Sw- yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I just saw it very recently in a restaurant. <laughs> how was it? It's it's still like I just want to know how they did it. Yeah, I see. I've seen it on TV. I haven't seen it live. It's it's freaky when it's right next to you. It's really freaky because <laughs> you're like I am looking at every corner of whatever you're wearing on your face. There's because. If you haven't seen it, it's like a, a very traditionally painted uh, mask on the actor. And he has a little headpiece. Mm. And you're like, I know that's where everything's hiding. And it's gonna, you're going to pull something. It's going to come down. From it happens within really a blink of an eye. It happens. He just swipes his arm, his forearm across his face in either direction. Super, super fast. And... uh Within half a second, he has a new mask completely different. And I'm just like... That sounds really cool. Especially when he he would come to you in a restaurant, because a lot of them are performing in restaurants to kind of just, you know, hype up the dinner vibe, if you will. Yeah. And they would come to your table and they will do it right in front of your own eyes. And you're like, this makes me feel like it's, it's like challenging my, my idea of how this world works. (laughs) Like magicians who are also stage performers. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing, I guess. 
Yeah, because it challenges your perception. <laughs> I studied a lot of magic tricks because I'm a teacher, and it's great to if you have a bunch of kids in front of you. They're way better than adults because adults are like, mm, they're like you can see in their eyes that they may actually know how you did it. But like with children, they're just like, wow. <laughs> and then they they actually think, you know, they, some of them are actually, you know, some of the kids are admitting, I think I know how you did that teacher. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> but the other, the other kids are just like, you could see the sparkle in their eyes where they think you have magic powers or something. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yes, keep it, keep it coming and cuddle my ego, please. <laughs> there, there was a gentleman in Beijing. His name was Mr. Magic. I'm not sure where he's gone or he moved to Beijing 30 years ago and he'd lived in Beijing back when and this is, might be interesting to some of our American listeners there was a period of time where foreigners living in China didn't get Chinese money they got special money only for foreigners who were living in, in China and you had to spend it in special shops for foreigners so there, there was a time in which if you were a foreigner living in China you had to use special money and he came, <laughs> he lived in China during that time he used to tell stories to me and my friends yeah you know an amateur magician. And by amateur, I mean, you know, a joke. I could do like fi <laughs> five tricks that I bought in a magic shop and they had to show me how to do them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this guy's a professional, right? He's one of the thousand best magicians like, on earth. I want to know how good he is. So we were standing in a shop. I said, do a trick right now. And I guess that was kind of like not that polite, but he did. <laughs> he, he took two straws. Yeah. And he tied them together in a way that looked like they should be fastened to in one another. Mm -hmm. And then he made them move through one another and pulled them apart. So it looked like he had put the two straws together and then just did a little tying and then moved them so that they moved through one another. And it was imperceptible. You know, at least the first time you see it, it looked like that's not possible. So he was he was so good that even if he gets called out by some douche guy in a store, he could totally just pull a trick right out of his hat, literally. Yeah. And just and do it right there. It was it was really amazing. On on my birthday uh, a couple months ago, my friends took us to this uh, bar in Beijing, and it's called a I think it's called a they called it a magic bar. And being I'm being very honest when we made the decision of going there, we were also a little bit intoxicated, so I don't remember the name of the bar. But the deal there is, if you buy a cocktail you will get a live magic trick. Mm. And that day when we went, we had 10 people. So we bought 10 cocktails and we basically got a show, a full show from that magician. Mm. That's a resident magician at the bar. And there's one thing that I did that was really, uh, that he did, it was really impressive. Cause like you said that, you know, untie the two strings or mm -hmm. making something mm -hmm. disappear or whatever. Like those two were more commonly seen. He did this one thing. It was a card trick. He he asks you to pick a card mm -hmm. and you could see it, your friends could see it, but of course he's not going to be able to see it. And then he asks you to grab uh, his forearm really tightly and squeeze really, really hard. And when you let go, of course, there's going to be his arm is going to be red. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he starts kind of just starts to rub that redness on his forearm. And in, in a couple of uh, in a matter of maybe like 10 seconds, he's like, just keep watching, watch closely, watch closely. And you see the number on the card that that person just drew appear out of that redness like that redness becomes that little number it was a wow. it was a seven heart and and i was that was like you i didn't know what to say i was speechless and that's that's what i sounded like <laughs> <laughs> that noise i just made <laughs> 
That's really impressive. You know, in order to juggle 17 balls or make, <laughs> do magic out of, you know, thin air, literally, yeah. or climb on chairs or do face dancing or perform in a Broadway play, like, it's not something you do for a few years. It's something that takes your entire lifetime to get that good at it. something that I felt like it's becoming more popular in recent years in China. Of course, it's been popular for, I think, over 30 years in the States. And that kind of gave people not a quick rise to fame, but it does give you an opportunity to start performing on stage pretty fast, you know, mm -hmm. which is what I do. That's stand-up comedy. It's, you know, it's... But you actually have to be funny. It's just, it comes from practice. You go, some people are naturally funny. Some people are not aware if they're funny. But if you go test it at an open mic, you know, and you keep trying it, you might be able to get on stage very soon. I think I got the first, I got the offer to, to perform on stage two months after I started, which is pretty quick. Yeah, but again, you know, I think there's a couple of like filters there. <laughs> Number one, you should be funny. Yeah. Number two, you have to be willing to to you say, oh, go to an open mic. You know how many people, I think it's the number one fear in the world is public speaking. Oh, wow. So you're asking people, like, I'm, I'm terrified of spiders. I mean, terrified. If I see a spider, I will make a sound that will not sound like Jason. <laughs> and then I, you'll look around and Jason will be gone. It's just somewhere else. So if someone is that afraid of public speaking, can't just get on a stage and test That's whether true. they're good or not. So you have to have be confident enough to stand on that stage and funny enough to pass through the second filter are you funny so you know i think you're <laughs> making what you do sound easier than it really is because for other people that's not so easy i mean but there is so much there's so much uh, uh perks of doing that though there's a lot of i felt like incentives that would encourage you to go do it and there are so many but that has just been so popular like a lot of young people nowadays they would really seek out to go watch stand-up mm, comedy mm. nowadays and so we can find you in beijing by looking uh, like on various social media platforms for Alex. <laughs> Is that your stage name she, too? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's sort of a made up name anyways. <laughs> So I use it. It's, it's convenient. It's shamelessly plugging our shows and stuff. It's fine, I think. I, yeah. I hope. <laughs> well, you know, if I'm coming back to uh, Beijing, and I think I may, there's a very high probability of me coming, mm -hmm. moving back to Beijing next year. I will bring my wife and we will come and see you again. That would be yes, awesome. Yes, hopefully you don't remember any of the old jokes that I told last time. So just be like, oh, it's all new material. Oh, how do you how do you write your, your material? You just, you have like a paper and pen or do you like just say jokes to people when you're hanging 
hanging out. And then you're like, oh, that was a good one. That'd be really annoying. That would be. (laughs) (laughs) We have people who function like that. There's a a very endearing friend who's a fellow comic, and he is definitely not doing it to seek attention and stuff. But every time he comes to us and he's like, oh, Alex, check out. I have a new joke. I'm like, nope, not interested. (laughs) I just walk away. It's horrible. But I don't do that. I only test out my new jokes at open mics and the way I accumulate materials are is um on my phone I have a I have a note you know that the iPhone has that note thing that syncs to all your cloud services Mm -hmm. so I could write Mm -hmm. things down on my laptop or my phone or my iPad whatever device I I have at the moment it's basically anytime in conversations if I think of something funny or if i see something i'm like that's silly or that's stupid i would just write it down and then i will try it out at open mics and see how people react and you practice it a couple of times until you find the best way to really land the pun the punchline and make it work and so as a result there are a lot of random things on that thread of notes that i just Mm -hmm. don't even remember what i was thinking and that joke is just gone. I just go, that joke just went into, I don't know, the fifth uh, dimension of the universe and I'll never be able to find it again. Mm. There's one, there's one note. It says EDDC. And I was like, what, what was I possibly thinking? It's, it, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like answers to a multiple choice questions on my exam paper. So you mentioned this is taking off in China. So you're saying that. stand-up comedy is growing at this time oh exponentially as as since the past uh five years i would say in both chinese for chinese audiences and english-speaking audiences both uh no no just chinese are the english comedy scene is still very 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 small wow so in order for me to even go and see this kind of performance i need to learn my i need to improve my chinese because i'm assuming in order to get a joke in another language you have to probably pretty good at that language you have to be but to say that is not to say that you have to sound like a native speaker we have a lot of chinese uh stand-up comics who tell jokes in english they don't necessarily have a flawless accent and a lot of them don't have a huge vocabulary like my vocabulary is not that big but it's Mm. it's more about understanding what's really hilarious or how humor sort of works in in mm. the other culture or in your own culture even because sometimes a lot of people are like oh you're really funny you should go become a comedian but the difference is when you do want to become a stand-up comedian you have to be consistently funny on stage for 15 minutes and nobody mm-hmm. really does that in real life well that's you know this is a big thing in america you mentioned is it is true i know new york la they're huge places for stand-up comedians to go and there's just like dozens of venues to choose from Uh, would you say there how many venues around like a big city in china like beijing or shanghai do you think there are just for probably a dozen at least for each city yeah the the chinese stand-up comedy scene has really 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 grown uh at an unexpected speed but but then on top of that if you like the art of language and humor um, I don't know if you've seen it, but I'm also a huge fan of the traditional uh, crosstalk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, where two people uh, stand on stage and they kind of just, they, it's almost like one person's just telling the story and the other person is trying to just go along with it. But Or heckle them. Or heckle them, yes. <laughs> it's that, that's solicited heckling that they want they want on stage but because they're, they're those two guys and the chinese new york gala that do it have at least the last three years they're always on there there's the guy that's 
a little more rotund, and then his associate, who's a little thinner, <laughs> and they're young people. They're like in their in their mid twenties or early thirties, and they always do the Chinese New Year gala. One's always kind of telling a story, and the other yep. one's heckling him. And like it's like a ongoing thing. These two guys who are really famous, not just on on the gala, but also like on Douyin and and other platforms. Yeah, as I well. think it's a. I think it's just they're from the same uh, club or the same um, group that I really, really, really like. I haven't been able to see them because they are super popular it's so hard to get tickets to go mm-hmm. see them but it's uh that's prop apparently another very popular performing art that chinese people are really really willing to spend money to go watch <laughs> We are out of time again, Alex. No! (laughs) (laughs) I'll talk to you on the next show. Yes, as we always do. Have a wonderful day. You too, Jason. Bye-bye.